0: Greetings. I'm Reverend Dr. F. Willis-Johnson, and this is Collage, a podcast of unique combinations of people and conversations on various things that matter and make a difference. Imagine being in a wheelchair and the voting place has stairs but no ramp. Or. You experience severe visual acuity and need help reading the ballot. Voting is a fundamental right in a democratic society, and ensuring equal access to the ballot box for all citizens is essential. Historically, persons with disabilities have faced significant challenges in exercising their right to vote, often encountering physical and systematic barriers that hinder their civic participation. In this episode, We reflect on the inequality and varied levels of accessibility for persons of diverse abilities to engage respectfully in the electoral and civic process. I'm joined today by Caleb Rousback, a junior at Gordon College, intern with Bridge Alliance and a disability advocate. Caleb, welcome, friend.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Man, let's just jump right into it. What are some of the current obstacles faced by persons with disabilities in their engagement of the electoral process?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I would first start off by saying obviously every person with a disability faces you know, unique challenges in the world and that those challenges are not always seen or even experienced by everyone else with a disability, so obviously all the stuff I'm going to say throughout this conversation is, you know, from my own experience. And I mean, as I've talked about before, you can't, as a legally blind person, I can't talk about necessarily someone's experience in a wheelchair, but I think advocating for the disabled community as a whole is something that's important to do. I would say that the main challenge I see in civic engagement or voting for the disabled community is having a, ability to even have a voice in the system. I think that without having the rights to vote, you can't make effective changes that would help other parts of discrimination, of inaccessibility. But in order to get that right to vote, you have to be able to actually have the right and the ability to vote. So it's kind of a paradox problem.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we commonly think about Barriers such as physical or architectural, maybe the informational or communication barriers that exist, maybe even more so the technological challenges that are associated with participation. But it seems like you have uh, spoke to something even uh, more significant, which are a lot of the attitudinal and maybe even organizational or system barriers associated with being not only participatory in electoral activity but just overall access in the civic and uh, civic process
1: I would say that's exactly true I think if you don't have the opportunities to even participate in the electoral process or participate even in the civic space then how are you supposed to maybe change the building that doesn't have a ramp or make voting more accessible by using technology that's secure. And I think in order to do that, though, you first have to tackle these attitudinal and these mindset changes in society that are so prevalent. Yeah, I don't think we even sometimes consider them because part of the problem is the disabled community doesn't have a big voice because we're such a small percentage of the whole community of America.
0: Yeah. Well, tell, tell us a little bit about your experience. Obviously, you're actively involved in uh, ways, both personally and collectively, on behalf of uh, individuals with what I like to refer to as unique abilities uh, but, uh, and disabilities. And uh, But what has been your experience? Where, where have you been met in or by challenges most recently?
1: Yeah, um, I'm probably going to take that answer and turn it into three parts. So I would say first that when it comes to actually voting, I've definitely faced my share, fair share of, you know, either society's just systemic way of doing things or even you could call it discrimination um, by having in my ballot either, you know, not able to be counted because it wasn't properly formatted and witnessed when I I had someone help me, or in another way, you have a polling place that I've experienced that didn't even have an accessible voting machine in person, and obviously that's a problem, and that's against the law, but a lot of times the problem is you don't, as a disabled person, want to call attention to yourself, I think, in a lot of scenarios, because you don't want to have to feel like you're less than. So a lot of times these problems of lack of accessible voting or voter discrimination against disabled people goes unreported and unsanctioned because these people don't want to make themselves a target for, you know, not being able to vote and being, you know, criticized for that. And I think that's a huge problem in and of itself of just how do we encourage people that are facing voter discrimination to speak out and say, hey, this isn't right. I shouldn't have to have someone at the polling place assist me in voting. I deserve, like every other American, a free and private voting space. And then the second part, I would say, is this idea of having a voice in our electoral systems and our legislators and our councils, I think that... That's something I'm extremely passionate about as someone who potentially wants to run for office in elective office someday is in Congress or in our state legislators, or even in our town councils, there are very few representations of disabled people that, you know, so you need people in these places to actually speak on disabled issues, even if they don't agree with every opinion in that spectrum, because it is a spectrum, even in the disabled community you still need those people that are in Congress and be like, hey, we need to talk about wheelchair access. We need to talk about healthcare reform. And then lastly, thirdly, I think the idea of not only having people in government doing the work, but also having lobbying groups and people that are not just you know out here asking for a certain bill, but starting discussions and saying, hey, this is important. We need to discuss this. And I think one area that some people may not even think about, is just helping disabled people become a part of the bigger community and really embrace the lifestyle of just an ordinary American who wants to live the ordinary American dream. That's something I know I'm definitely passionate about. The organization I actually got my leader dog for the blind from, uh, Rosie Sighted Guide, and a lot of those, and a lot in that rest of the 90%, sometimes don't even leave their house and don't even want to go out into the world. So leader dogs shows that, you know, that's a huge issue that we can't just jump immediately to, how do we give blind people access to driving a truck, which I don't even know if it's a good option in the first place, but also just how can we get these people out of the house and, you know, being empowered to just go eat dinner at a Texas Roadhouse and enjoy some, you know, good bread. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, definitely. They have good bread. There's good rows there. Uh, well, you you talk about the need for representation and and a lot of policy uh, uh, that's out or could be out there or needs to be out there. In some parts of, of, of the nation over the last few years, they have made more than 400 rules that make it harder for certain people to vote, especially uh, those uh, persons of color or unique origins and even of unique abilities. These rules uh, many times either halt or stop people from voting through uh, the mail or signing up uh, in, in ways that uh, increase registration, particularly on same day or early uh, opportunities to vote in person. Uh, they even... Have laws that are punishing folks for assisting individuals, particularly disabled people, in the voting process. Can you talk a little bit about that? That what that what that means, or 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 how it it's best redressed?
1: Yeah, that's definitely a issue that's pressing upon the hearts of many Americans throughout the nation, whether. You know, it is a person with, as you like to term, a unique ability or a unique origin or, you know, a unique set of circumstances. Um, and I think, first off, we have to remember that our democracy is, our democratic republic, because we're not technically a democracy, is founded on the idea of being able to participate in our system, though, and not only elect people that represent us, but also you know be able to check and balance those people and make sure our rights and our constituency is being represented. And so I think first off, we have to look back and look at our history, even though it's a history that's full of mistakes and turmoil that you have to still look back at history and examine it and say, how did these things happen? And what can I learn from them? Um, And I think personally, as a political science major, but also a person who desperately loves learning about history and is a amateur scholar, I would consider myself of the founding era. I would say that, you know, I don't think we should go back and try to whitewash or paint over history. I think that instead we really need to look at it and be like, yes, there were things that were wrong and there were things that happened, but also... There's also some great ideas on how can we learn from both ends of that. And so I think that's the first step. Um, and then the second step is to really take a look at the changes that are happening in these laws and say, what are the root causes that these laws are being created for and why are they being passed? Because a lot of it is our valid fears. Like there's both sides of the spectrum where you have people that... Um, are getting denied access to those rights to vote. But you also have valid fears that there could be election you know, interference. And there could be people that are taking advantage of disabled people and not letting them get their fair right to vote. And so I think you have to kind of keep in mind that there's not one right side to the issue necessarily of there's concerns on both sides of that like issue. And like, oh, over here we have people that are concerned about... The part of the issue of securing our elections. Then we have on the other side, there's people that really want to make sure everyone's getting the right to vote, and we need to figure out a solution that can balance both of those concerns because they're both just as important. I think that's something Bridge Alliance, you know, and its members is one of our you know key initiatives is doing that is how can we bring people together from both sides of an aisle or both sides of a spectrum and say you guys both have solutions to an issue such as like protecting the rights of disabled Americans, but you have different solutions. So how can you come together and really move forward and make get the most effective solution put out there and implemented?
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm humbled that you referenced Bridge Alliance. Obviously, uh, you are a part of our our efforts and we're so glad to have you as an intern in this season and to uh, help us live into uh, our full uh, full-throated, fully committed uh, desire, expectation, uh, belief that uh, a healthy uh, form of self-governance, uh, a strong and representative democratic republic uh, is one that is fully representative of all of the uniqueness that makes up its constituency and in its, in its people group. And uh, think- you're, <laughs> you're aiding and abetting us uh, healthily in that but go ahead and share your comment on that cuz have you what you're contributing so healthily and I hope we're helping you as you as you lean forward no it's uh, been in your scholarship and work it's
1: been a great experience and i think kind of just a quote you reminded me of that i don't remember the exact words so i'm not i'm going to paraphrase this but right on. is this idea of um, you know america is you know just a beautiful country Um, But we also do have to remember, like, this democracy reform, democracy revitalization movement, Um, a lot of people quoted Tocqueville as saying America is great because she is good, which I actually read a recent book that talks about how that's actually been proven false, and he never said that. He did think America (laughs) had its greatness, and he did think that, you know, part of America's solution was a good thing. But he also recognized that we're fallen people. We all, you know, don't have the ability to be the perfect ideal people that we want to be. And so for that, we need to have checks and balances and we need to make sure we look at our democracy and say, how can we reform this? And so whether it's advocating for the disabled community or th- making our democracy stronger, it's all stuff that I'm passionate about. And I'm always up to public speak or Get on another podcast if anyone ever wants to reach out.
0: Well, right on. Well, we're thankful that you uh, uh, took our invitation, uh, and took advantage of our invitation, and more importantly, we're, we're grateful for uh, the genius in the coomba, uh, the creativity that you are sharing, and most of all, your witness uh, as a leader uh, of, uh, of not only now, but in the future. And uh, I think you have offered up to us uh, some considerations for how we can be more Practical in our in our solutions and in our strategies to to ensure or work towards ensuring that we have inclusive and equitable uh, opportunities in the in the civic space. Uh, and I hope that everyone takes the charge and the challenge uh, that is before us to continue to make uh, make it easier, make it more fair, uh, more fair, uh, make it more apt and just. Uh, no matter what the challenges we each face to be able to fully participate uh, in the work of our citizenship and, uh, and towards our collective uplift. Thank you, Caleb, for joining us today. And um, join, join me again soon for this podcast and help make a more beautiful, colorful, and perfect collage.